Hey there, and welcome back to the Part-Time Gaffers podcast, where we bring you a unique statistical perspective on all things football and discuss all the hot topics of the week. I'm one of your co-hosts, David, and I'm joined by my best friend and co-host, Dilesh. Howdy, everyone. We've got an exciting episode for you this week as we debate the top Premier League sides of all time and discuss the nightmare that almost came to be true. You know what it is, the European Super League. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay, so on to our debate of the week. Top three Premier League sides of all time. This is quite a contestable topic, and it's very easy for our own opinions to get in the way. Myself being an Arsenal fan, a big fan of the Invincibles, and Delesh being a Liverpool fan, a big fan of the recent success, which was waited for like 30 years. So we've tried to take the bias out of this, and as as per the points of this podcast, we're taking a statistical approach to this. So I'm going to let Delesh go first. He'll explain his rationale, how he's done things, and then I'll go next. And we'll follow that by critiquing each other's approaches and possibly the actual results we ended up getting. So over to you, Delesh. Thanks, David. I guess probably the same with your approach. Um, there were two things that I needed to limit. One was the teams that I included in this list to apply a model to. And then secondly, what variables did I want to consider in the model um, to then get a final score and then a ranking off of that? So obviously, when you think about how successful a team's been, you have to include how many games, how many wins they had in a season. And I took this one step further and had took the win percentage because uh, some of the teams I have in my list played more than 38 games in a season. So that was important for me to do, um, to not bias that metric at all. Uh, something that I did, which you probably didn't do, David, is I took into account the number of trophies that were available for a team to win and how many trophies they actually won in that season. So this is maybe slightly going out of the scope of just Premier League, just the Premier League performance, but I thought it was important to include how well they did as a team throughout that season, throughout any particular season. And then I had just the normal metrics, like goals that they scored, uh, how many goals they conceded, how many points they accrued in that season. And I also had uh, points percentage, again, because it's important to keep in context how many points were available and how many points they won. And that also helps to account for their win and draw percentages. I used a simple additive model with a couple of tweaked coefficients for some of these variables based on what I thought was more important. But other than that, the model is quite simplistic. Um, it's just more about which variables I was using. How about you? Sure, yeah. So my approach was as well to take a selection of teams rather than analyzing every single team that has ever won the Premier League. And we did actually have that small debate. Should a team that didn't win but did very well even be up for contention? And my results on that question was a hard no, because if they weren't even the best team in the season, I think it's very hard to justify why they should be in contention for the best team of all time. Should I? I'll just jump in on that. Okay. So, because we did have this debate before we started recording. Um, and my rationale for that was, sure, we're judging teams on individual seasons. So you might have a team that didn't win the league, for instance, but they could have still performed better than another team in another season. So that's why I thought that it might be, or you could get away with 
having teams that didn't win the league in these lists but we'll get to that a bit later on as well yeah yeah so basically what i did is i only included teams that had some justification for being in contention that's what formed my shortlist so for example a couple of teams that are in here are leicester city from 2015-16 they were the miracle story and they beat the 5000 to 1 odds so i think that's a worthwhile reason of being considered for one of the best teams of the time Additionally, you have the 1999-2000 Manchester United side who won the league by 18 points. And you even have the Arsenal Invincibles. Of course, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd argue emotionally they are the best team of all what? time. What? Invincibles? What did they do? <laughs> <laughs> they did, but Liverpool couldn't. So essentially what drove my model here is I had the win percentage. So how many games in the season did the team win? straight up win that's not a win or a draw that's just a straight win and that was a 20 percent weighting in my model additionally i took the win or draw percentage because i think it is important to consider how many games are they not losing and i think some seasons where the teams are more competitive there is a higher level of play in the league which we do see in more recent seasons to earlier ones it's a lot harder to just win games straight up and we're seeing draws become a lot more common so i think it is important to include how many games you win or draw as well and that also takes up 20 percent of my model additionally um same as your model points available and what percentage they took so that makes up another 20 percent of my model because i think at the end of the day a good team should be achieving a lot of points and i think that that is ultimately one of the best factors to describe a good team i've then just scaled a few other factors to include so i've got the uh scaled sorry i'm just reading my excel sheet here it's quite big as same as yours there's a lot of stuff we've considered but obviously you've got goals for and you've got goals against and you've got the goal difference and the way i've scaled this because unlike wins and points there's no maximum that you can achieve you could have a thousand goals if you are an insane team it's probably never going to happen but it is possible so in order to scale this amongst the teams i've just taken the goals that were scored or the goals that were against or the goal difference um and i've just divided by the maximum so the best team and obviously that's a bit difficult with goals against because you want a lower one but i've just adjusted the metric so that it does make sense and lastly, something that you didn't include in your model, I also had clean sheet percentage. Um, and I think this is important because a really good team is able to have clean sheets. It's, it's an odd metric because you could win a game 4-1 and it's not counted as a clean sheet, but you had a dominant performance. But I think it's important because I think the best teams of all time should have a high percentage of their games being clean sheets because it really shows a good balance between attack and defense, as would your goal difference, but it's a slightly different metric. So that makes up the last 10% of my model. And two additional factors I've used to scale the final score um, is first the adjustment for competition. So this was a, another contentious metric, which Delish didn't agree with me on, but essentially I've taken the, the amount of points that the team won the season by, and I've used that to, as a proxy to get how competitive was the season? Because as good as Manchester City were in 2017, they were the only ever 100-plus point side, most consecutive wins, best goal difference, among other things. The problem was they won the league by 19 points, and that tells me that it wasn't as competitive as other seasons. So I've adjusted for that, and 
for more competitive more competitive seasons i've allowed the teams to ha- maintain their ranking or their final score but for less competitive seasons like that one i've slightly lowered their score so it's just a factor i multiply by and on top of that i've got the adjustment for achievement so teams that actually achieved a record achieved something sensational achieved something new i've allowed their ranking or score to go up a little bit more so that did help arsenal because they were the invincibles but i do think that's relevant so that was my approach so i'm interested to hear what were the top three teams that you actually ended up having and why so for me in my model um i have manchester city 1718 then manchester city 1819 um if i i will eventually exclude this team but i'll put it in there as well so i'll give you i'll give you my top five right? sure. so it's city seventeen eighteen, city eighteen nineteen, liverpool eighteen nineteen. even though we didn't win the league uh, chelsea 05, and then liverpool nineteen twenty. those make up my top five and according to in the model that i've given they're all so my model scores i didn't weight them uh, to give a score within 100 um but the differences between those that the model scores rank between 268 to about 217. Um, so all of those teams did very well according to what I put together. Uh, but yeah, that City 17-18 side comes out a pretty clear winner for me. Sure, and it's actually the same for me. So 2017 Manchester City were quite clearly the winner and no matter how I really weighted the different factors that went into this model, 2017 Man City were almost always right at the top. So I think we can agree that they're a clear Categorical. top. Yeah, so Man City 2017-18 are the best team of all time in the Premier League. So where this changes for me versus you is Chelsea 2004 on my second side. So they were your fifth. Um, and followed by Arsenal 2003. So obviously Arsenal 2003-4, the Invincibles, they didn't have the best statistics. They had a very high win or draw percentage, 100%. But besides that, they didn't score some of the most goals in history. They did concede more than some other teams in other seasons. And I guess you could say maybe they got a bit lucky being the Invincibles. I do admit that. But they were an incredible side, led by Thierry Henry, best Premier League player of all time, in my opinion, as we discussed on... Um, He's generalised that to in player previous now, debates. not just striker. Uh, I'd say of all time. But anyway, nevertheless, <laughs> I think that this is where my adjustment for achievement comes in handy because I don't think you can leave Arsenal Invincibles off of the top Premier League t- teams of all time. It doesn't make sense. And as we were building these models and we were critiquing each other along the way, you did say, it looks like you're fudging the numbers there. And while I disagree, I don't think it's fudging numbers. I was simply trying to make things make sense. And when I looked back at my model and I was seeing Arsenal down at seventh, it just didn't make sense. It doesn't sit right because sports is at at its heart, slightly an emotional thing. And it doesn't feel right that the invincible team, the first team and only team ever to not lose a single game in the season wasn't in the top teams of all time especially with the quality of players they had in their side, doesn't make sense. So I've got Arsenal in third, and fourth and fifth for me are United 2007-2008. Fantastic side, and um, they were Champions League winners as well, which is very impressive. 
followed by Chelsea 2009, who I noticed are not even in your model. And this is a side, by the way, that scored seven plus goals in four games. And their last game of the season was 8-0 to ensure that they won the title. 8-0 they won. Just just for extra um, pizzazz, they wanted how to many, get a big How many points victory. did they... Oh, so they needed to win the final game of the season. Yes. To win the league. And uh, they had they finished with 86 points that season. So it was a very competitive season relative to um, some of the others. They only actually won by one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that side is very good and does deserve to be up there. So I think the main difference here is that I don't have Liverpool anywhere near the mm-hmm. top five. And you don't have an arsenal anywhere near your top five. It's funny how that was worked out, isn't it? It's really funny. <laughs> um, and additionally, Chelsea 04 in mine and yours had yeah. Man City. Because you included Man City's 18-19 season. I did. Which I did. What was your reason for including that side? For the 18-19 season? Yeah. It was just a stellar season as well. Uh, I mean, both of those seasons, they were just, well, they still are a top team in form, doing amazingly what drove or what probably pushed that city team to second for me was the fact that they won three trophies that season Mm. so i believe it was the two domestic tournaments and obviously the league um and in my model they get an extra little bump for the extra trophy that they won so that probably is what pushes them up to second even though they had fewer points than um the season before um i i still think that hey, I'll always remember that season because they pipped us for the title. And if if I did have to have to include something like an enjoyment or an achievement factor, mm-hmm. that would definitely also give them more of an edge because those last six weeks of that season, just with both Liverpool and City knowing that if they screwed up, and by screw up means even if they just drew a game, mm-hmm. then they were essentially handing control of the title over to the other team so yeah i mean just in general stellar stellar uh season when you when you accrue 98 points in a season you're doing something right yeah yeah no that's fair that's fair now what i have noticed and i noticed i just missed this earlier when you mentioned it the liverpool side that you have in third place did not win the premier league title I I have a massive problem with you trying to claim the third best Premier League side of all time was the one that didn't even win the title. They were eclipsed by Man City. Can you actually justify that, or would you admit that that's possibly a failure in the model? I, I will admit that, and this is why I gave my top five, right? Sure. Because I agree with you that if, if a team doesn't ultimately win the title, they probably shouldn't be considered in this list. But as I said before... And which is also the reason why they do so well in my model is that even though you don't win the title, you could, as they did in that instance, lose the title by a single point. You've still accrued 97 points in a season, which at that time was still, which at that time was the third highest, Mm. considering third highest only to City the season before and City in that very season. So my point remains is that even if you don't win a title, you can still have a stellar team be one of the best Premier League teams to ever compete, but just not come away with the spoils at the end of the, of the season. But I do agree. And like, if, if I did have to give out a final 
version of this, I probably wouldn't include that because of that, the caveat. Right. So would you put Chelsea 0405 in third place? Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So yeah, I think, I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. They were, they were a great side, even though they didn't win. And my rebuttal to that would still be, I think the last three years of the Premier League have been some of the least competitive. This season excluded. This season's very competitive. Any of the top 15 sides could beat each other, and I'm not surprised. But the previous three, we've seen Arsenal in a bit of a shambles, trying to rebuild. We've seen Spurs constantly being quite strong, but not overwhelmingly competitive in the Premier League. We've seen Manchester United constantly like being a better than Arsenal, but still struggling and not near their glory days. And we've seen Chelsea not at their best compared to where they were in the early 2010s and the obviously their glory of the 2000s. So I'd say that Liverpool's achievement in 2018-19, as good as it was, even though they didn't win the league, was helped a lot by the fact that the big six weren't that competitive compared to how they were previously. What I would, and this isn't a direct counter argument to what you've just said but it goes back to the whole dominance factor that you have included as well i don't have the exact numbers to back me up right now but in the city that in the season that we won the league last year and that city won the league in 1819 there was definitely a period of that season where they weren't playing their best football and they had to win games from behind or win games by single goal margins in the dying breaths mm-hmm. of a game so as i say i don't have the exact numbers but i know that it must have been let's just give it 10 points a season right three wins three or four wins and that goes to show that they got the three points so that increased their lead at the top of the table but it doesn't justify or it doesn't give credit to how tough that game was Mm -hmm. and how tough the competition was so i think there's there's obviously a bit another level that we can go down into that yeah, and that's partly why I don't quite agree with that um, dominance, or I called it a competition, uh, a competition, factor, a competition yeah. factor. But yeah, just just to make that point to say that mm. the Premier League, it's it's kind of a bit of a meme sometimes, but it is the most competitive league in the world, of course, by mine. And yeah, just just if I had those numbers, I'd put them out, but. Sure. Yeah. Team those teams did go through tough patches and they did have to grind out games, have spectacular moments, winning winning with last minute goals, and that's full credit to the level of competition that they faced and therefore the level that that team was playing at. Sure. Yeah. Those games. Yeah, fair. Um so final rankings, obviously Delish's top three were Man City seventeen eighteen, Man City eighteen nineteen, and Liverpool eighteen nineteen. Chelsea are four or five. Sure, yeah, yeah, because you're not counting the fact <laughs> them because they didn't win the league. And my final three are Man City 17-18, Chelsea 0-4-0-5, and Arsenal 0-3-0-4. And I, I have to say, I'm really happy with my top three because if I'm trying to paint the story and reflect on this, City with the only 100-plus point side ever, most consecutive wins, best goal difference, and the biggest points margin of 19, and the most wins in history. That's an incredible side. I, it's clear to me why they're first. I think second, Chelsea 0405 had the lowest ever goals conceded. This is under Jose Mourinho. It makes sense. And the highest ever clean sheet percentage. And lastly, the Invincibles, Arsenal 0304, they didn't lose a game. Makes sense. So if I'm thinking, can I justify those top three teams? Logically, it makes sense to me. And it agrees with the stats. 
So I guess we'll have to agree to disagree as per normal. And it's been interesting actually analyzing this. It's been really nice reflecting on the on the Premier League teams that have come and gone. And yeah, I have to say it's it's a shame that we don't quite have those top four races that we used to see in the in the 2000s, where you'd have Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, and Liverpool or Spurs really like pushing for the title. Because nowadays, it seems like it's just a couple of teams. Well, excluding the season, as we've said before. Yeah. Well, well, City are still running away with it, but a bit more competition in the following pack. Yeah. Can yeah. can we just have one last shout-out sure. to Leicester City? Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I'm really upset. They came last in my model. I think yeah, last in was too. Last in both of our models, but we'll, ha- we'll forever have a lasting in our hearts yeah and i think the the things that drove leicester to be last in the model were firstly that at least for my competition factor they won the league by 10 points it was a season where the other big six teams didn't really do very well arsenal Mm. did the best out of the others and even they didn't have a great season so it was a it was a miracle but we can see why it happened and on top of that then their actual metrics their um, performance weren't incredible they did get a little bit lucky and that is why it's a miracle but big shout out to them and lastly i'd actually like to also say manchester united it's interesting how some of their best seasons just didn't do that well in the model mm-hmm. so of note we're 1999 2000 united and also 2012 united they came quite far down and while those were incredible sides and if we're talking about the players and that's where this debate could change completely if you bring the players into it and try analyze their stats this could go a whole different direction it's not how we've taken it but Mm. i do think that some of those man united sides player wise were the best of all time no doubt and that's not the direction we've taken this but it's it is upsetting i guess to see some of those incredible sides down in this list but i guess it's also quite eye-opening though because yeah. when you i guess that's that's what you get when you apply a statistical model to any real life situation it just gives you a bit of a different view on things and maybe clears the fog from your eyes a little yeah if, definitely. if that's a good uh figure of speech for it but, yeah i'd agree with that i think those united seasons are very over sensationalized in some respects they were incredible they deserve all the respect but on a statistical basis in terms of dominance in the best teams they weren't necessarily the best team um Mm. if you take that full premier league historical view yeah so yeah um yeah been an interesting debate and like i said i have to agree to disagree on that one awesome okay so on to arguably still the hottest topic in the football world even a week later the european super league so for those of you who aren't aware and i'd be very surprised if anyone hasn't heard about this because mm-hmm. every man and his girlfriend has heard about the european super league if you're a girlfriend out there and your boyfriend is a big super league fan or a big premier league fan and hates the super league doesn't matter what side of the debate you're on I'm sure you've heard about it because guys are talking about this like crazy. They're putting it on their Instagram stories. It is everywhere. And essentially the European Super League is an NBA style league. So the top teams across Europe coming together to form a league where they all play each other and it's the same teams every season. There's no relegation. There's no promotion. It's just the same teams, except there is a space for some teams to come in and out who aren't in that unique 
top, I guess, teams in Europe tier. Mm-hmm. So there is some room to get into the competition, but it's very difficult. And this caused a major uproar in the footballing world because we don't like the idea of no relegation. We like the idea of rewarding good performance. And also because many people were upset at the fact that this was going to make these teams a lot of money. So, yeah, I'm interested to hear, Delish, what was your reaction when this news broke out? What did you think about it? And especially as more news came over the next few days and you learned more about it, how did you feel about the whole idea? Yeah, I think like most of the footballing world, we sort of saw what this idea was. We saw who was involved, who had kind of driven its inception. And frankly, I was pretty disgusted. Well, that's a strong word. (laughs) I just, I mean, for me, because I'm quite, uh, like everyone who knows me knows, I'm quite logical. Like I'll see things through. I, I can understand why these clubs and their owners decided to embark on this, but I fully and wholeheartedly don't agree with it. And I don't think that it should go ahead. Uh, mainly because as you alluded to before, it's football is a lot more than just 90 minutes of relief a week that we get from watching it. There's the entire storyline behind the game that you're watching at any point in time, whether it's, to do with particular players or uh, a club's history that they've accrued in a tournament or the history between two sides, like the head-to-heads. There's so much more behind what you're actually witnessing in that moment that builds the emotion and just just that gut, that raw feeling you get when you're watching a game of football because mm. you know all of this history and these storylines. And part of that is so much to do with what's on the line with a football game. It doesn't, and with just general league games, it's it's not just as all the players and managers say the three points at the end of the day. Mm. It's how well they performed. It's what that performance means for the rest of the season. And as you get to the end of a season or the business end of a season, it's about what that means for the division that you're playing in in the next season. And also, like I understand, with that comes all of the financials. So obviously you get more money for staying in the Premier League, you get mm. low money. If you qualify for the Champions League or other competitions, there's other financial benefits. So there's always a financial aspect tied to it, but it's so much more than just the money that's coming in for fans, right? And fans are, at the end of the day, we're paying for all of the wages and we're paying to watch this because we care about the team so much. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, so unlike most people, I have to say... I'm very 50-50 on the idea. I am disgusted at some of the respects that you mentioned, uh, especially at the lack of, lack of, I guess, not matching the spirit of football, which is about that promotion, relegation, reward, and it's about the fans at the end of the day. And the fans are the most important in the whole equation of football. But I have to say, I do see why the idea was pitched. I do understand it. Football's at a point where Financially, it's actually not becoming viable. We're seeing successful sports models like the NBA and the NFL absolutely triumph year after year. They're doing well. They're continuing to make good money, and the model is sustainable. And with football, what we're seeing is it's really not. And like, uh, what's the president's name uh, of Real Madrid? Uh, 
He's so the president of Real Madrid is the is the one. Sorry, the chairperson I think is the one who actually drove this idea, and he's the one who helped form the Super League. Florentino Perez, of course. Sorry, it's been a long day. And so what he alluded to is the fact that there are firstly the demographic of football is changing, and the young demographic is not as interested in football as it used to be. That's the eighteen to twenty four, and a lot of people support back at this they said we do watch football but do they really i have to be honest i don't just from what i've witnessed i don't think that 18 to 24s are as in, interested in football as they used to be there's a lot more people wanting to go to the nba and these other sports where the top teams are playing the top teams I'll put it this way i don't know that many people our age mm. who would wake up to watch a football game in the morning versus people our age who would skip a bit of work in the afternoon to watch an NBA game. Exactly. That's exactly it. So I do think that he's right in that respect. The demographic's changing. And in a money sense, there's actually not enough money being generated to support the whole financial ecosystem of football. So one thing that was misinterpreted about the Super League idea is that these teams, the exclusive top teams in Europe, are going to make lots more money and it's going to screw over the rest of the teams. But that's not actually what their idea was. Firstly, they allocated a specific percentage of all the revenue generated and all the profits, I should say, actually generated from the Super League to go to the other teams in Europe. So this would actually help support those other teams. And they did the math and it would be a net benefit to these other teams. They would actually end up having more money from this than from other structures that exist, such as UEFA. So that was a benefit. And I did think that that's relevant. And... So ultimately, I do see what I, like I said, the reasoning behind this idea. And so where do I actually stand on it? I'm a no still, because under that structure, I don't think it works. And I think a large reason it doesn't work is because the Premier League and UEFA said, if you do that, you're banned from our things. And if you don't, you can stay. That was the ultimate ultimatum that ended up happening. And that's why it failed. I think that... If it was implemented as designed, it replaces the Champions League and the Europa League, and they're still allowed to compete in the Premier League and the Liga and Serie A alongside this competition, which would be a mid- midweek competition. I don't see an issue with that. So ultimately, I think where this now has to go is where do we see this going forward? Where do we where do we think the Super League could end up being? Because obviously it's been cancelled now. All the Premier League teams pulled out. And... I think logically, just with what I've been saying, I think where this will go is that we'll see some kind of competition created still to replace the Champions League. The same clubs would be involved in managing it, but I think they're going to have a better aspect of relegation and promotion. I think it's going to be more pleasing for the fans in that sense. And I do think that they're, they're going to be able to work out a deal where they can do this alongside their local domestic leagues. And that's the only way I see it going forward. What about you? I I don't know if it's going to be going on alongside other leagues because part of what this league was meant to be addressing is player welfare mm. and the number of games that players have to play in a season. And let's just let's not forget let's not only include games that players play for their clubs uh, which is generally their primary focus as it should be i mean that's how they get their wages paid and whatnot but when they're not playing for their clubs it's mostly because well during the season it's because it's an international break 
and these top players are inevitably representing their countries in those games. And because they're so good, they'll be expected to play most of those minutes. But there's also uh, other international competitions that come when the season, when it's the off season, whether that's the Euros, the World Cup. So in in a years in a calendar year, a player is playing a lot more than just the thirty eight league games plus the ten or so uh, champion uh, cup games that they'd be involved in. They also have all these international games. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this league was meant to say, okay, let's cut out, let's reduce the number of games that players have to play so that we end up having higher quality games was the concept because if we have fresher players and also we have fresher players who are playing up against the other best players in the league or in the world then we're going to end up with better quality games and Mm -hmm. that's going to be at the end of the day more of a spectacle for fans uh, and that I feel like that was another really big part of it uh, mm. because that's what you get with the models of the NFL and the NBA is players know, well, NBA, there's heaps of games anyway, but you know how many games there are going to be and you're able to space them out uh, rather than having ad hoc competitions where if you the further you go, you might end up playing two games a week for 38 weeks. So I, I think that was a big thing, but... And that's why I don't see it going on alongside other competitions. I think they will still try and initialize it uh, as its own entity. Uh, the one thing that I think they will revise going forward is the competitive aspect or the competition aspect of this league. So it's a bit stale to have only set teams in the league regardless of performance and how well they've done in the past. I think if, if they've found a way to add in some type of relegation promotion into this league um, that would go a long way to fixing the issues that people have with it. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. And I guess the other reason that Delish and I are even talking about where this is going going forward is because ultimately, even though the English clubs did pull out, they did sign a binding contract. And Florentino Perez has restated this many times to the media. It was binding, and he it has is. said... It will happen going forward. That's inevitable. And I think regardless of if the contract's binding, because of the financial state of things, this is going to have to happen in some form to keep enough revenue alive to support the clubs. And so ultimately we are going to see some form of Super League in the future. We have to accept that. I think what the fans have done really well around the world is lobby for a Super League that they want and a Super League that they'd be happy to see which even though they might not like the idea of it, we're going to have to accept, we're going to have to see a form of it in the fo- in a way that we like. So, yeah, hopefully we can continue to lobby and we continue to protest bad things and the some owners will get replaced, hopefully. Uh, I know that the Glazers are under some pressure, Stan Kroenke all, at Arsenal. All of the of owners of, of the 12 big clubs mm. that, that were going to be part of this have come up under massive scrutiny yeah um, and daniel eck from spotify is looking to buy arsenal i really hope that goes ahead oh man i would love that because he's in cahoots with a few arsenal legends from the invincible side possibly arson winger according to latest news and honestly if those guys were the ones owning and running the club i would be happy as larry 
I don't care if we finish 12. No, I do. I really don't want us to. But it would just make me very happy. So I hope that that goes ahead. And the other thing that's actually been happening as a result of the Super League is the 50 plus 1 rule possibly being introduced to England. Are you aware of what that is? So in Germany, 51 plus 1, 51% of the club needs to be owned by fans, from my understanding. So that's actually why you see German clubs don't, often spend a lot on transfers it's why Bayern buys the best players from the other German clubs because they can't afford to consistently spend huge amounts on players and actually if you look at Bayern's history they've barely spent anything on players they're very smart so essentially there's a lot of British football fans who have been lobbying the British government to make 50 plus one a law in England which would mean that the owners of Liverpool of United of Chelsea of Arsenal etc have to actually sell 40 sorry 51 percent of their stake in the club and fans would have a majority ownership and if that does go ahead it's going to make it very hard for the super league to go ahead because you'd have so many different fans involved in the process it would be very hard to organize this so that could be a very interesting development to watch out for yeah i'm not too sure if that's going to go ahead in england i think this comes down to a culture thing with football in different countries in europe and different areas of the world but it would be interesting to see definitely i know mm. uh the faithful of arsenal football tv would be <laughs> very keen on that idea <laughs> yeah let's not talk about that <laughs> yeah also it's arsenal fan tv oh, fan. yeah <laughs> yeah um but anyway yeah so been interesting obviously nothing's happening with super league yet now being cancelled for the time being so we're just gonna have to watch the space and see how things progress moving forward in other words watch out for florentino perez making a media appearance in the next few months <laughs> bringing out a massive lawsuit which he has threatened yeah and i think he well, might no be doubt ahead no with. doubt it's in the pipeline yeah yeah definitely yeah very very interesting and one of the biggest things that's happened in football in the last few years for sure that's been episode two Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you've enjoyed. And, and hopefully learned something or just taken something interesting away from it. Yeah, I think whether it's about modeling or uh, the ESL, all of that drama. But yeah, just once again, thank you. And we have a couple of notices for you just to finish off. Yeah, so we're hoping to set up a website or blog in some capacity so we can regularly share some insights and also share our models that we're actually talking to in the podcast because they are just Excel files and we can share those with you in some some form if we get this website sorted. And additionally, we're hoping to be a bit more active on Twitter. So there would be some live commentary and insights throughout the week. So watch the space and hopefully we'll get that sorted soon. Until next time.